So we have all this going on. Now, let me throw my final curveball in for Wisdom Wednesday. Yesterday, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops issued an amici curiae. That's Latin for friend of the court, I believe. Uh, Brief, siding with the state of Mississippi in the Supreme Court case that we heard this fall on its 15-week prohibition, if you're 15 weeks pregnant or more, you can't get an abortion in Mississippi. That's a very modest statute. They're being sued nonetheless. But the USCCB didn't stop at just saying, well, we want to be friend of the court and uh, we want to side with Mississippi. It went the next step. It took 30 pages and argued that Roe versus Wade and Casey versus Pennsylvania, or Planned Parenthood rather, should both be overturned. The USCCB, now I read the whole thing, and I'm going to bring Brother Andre Marie in now from the St. Benedict Center and host of Reconquest here on the Crusade Channel. Uh, Brother, I know you didn't get a chance to read it. I did, and my constitutional uh, scholar peepers, I was reading this and going like, uh, not only is this a good constitution argument, almost perfect one, but it's also a pretty, pretty good Catholic argument. And I'm going like, okay, what have you done? Who are you and what have you done with the USCCB? Brother Andre, good morning. Good morning to you, Mike. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Good. So I bring that USCCB document up because this puts them now, and we know that they don't want to be, (laughs) they're not here, but it puts them on the opposite side of Biden puts them on the opposite side of the regime, puts them on the opposite side of the of, of, of the uh, judicial system in the United States and the Supreme Court, puts them on the opposite side of the enemy, you might even say. Um, now, it's worth noting that there's not a bishop that claimed any responsibility for writing it, that the lawyers that wrote it, you know, they're, they're given credit uh, in the document itself if you read it. Uh, but you can't help but read that brief and go like, okay, this this is what we've been wanting bishops to do, maybe from their own pens, uh, since Roe, uh, and it's actually happened. I don't even get a chance to read it. I just thought I would mention it. And today is also, and we'll talk about this, the feast day of St. Dominic. Yes, it is. It's uh, it's the feast day of Saint Dominic, and he's he's one that we really need to uh, be looking at today. Um, first of all, this year is a significant year in the um, Dominican history because two days hence the the feast of the Transfiguration, which is August sixth, is the eight hundredth anniversary of the death of Saint Dominic. So the the order. Um, I mean, could you imagine? being in an order that that counts things in in centuries like that it's impressive yeah. <clears throat> but uh so uh so it's a big it's a big deal for them there are all sorts of dominican celebrations this year um and you know again we're two days off from his 800th uh anniversary of his death and today's his feast day in the traditional right i think in the Novus Ordo it's in the, on the eighth so there'll be more dominican stuff in a couple of days um, but yeah, he's and of course he gave, he gave the church a number of doctors. His order gave the church a number of doctors and 
great saints of all sorts. And um, by the way, Mike, you sent me a piece this morning. Yes. Which you, uh, which I, I didn't think I would have had time to read, but I snagged a couple of minutes to, to read it. Uh, and uh, the piece on Breitbart about uh, these fu- futurists and technologists. Oh, these people are loons. They're sick. Yeah, they're they're loony. But one of the one of the things that one of the things that uh, piqued my interest was the fact that one of the three uh, nut nut jobs that they interviewed said that they'll have these kind of glasses that will omit things that you don't want to see like garbage and other people. And that's a direct quote, garbage and other people. That's right. Um, and uh, it, it struck me that these folks, uh, again, can't deal with reality, and they want to create a new reality by, again, doing the whole approach with, well, if we change the time on the hands on the clock, we'll, we'll actually move forward or backward in time it's it's a it's a false way of altering reality the only reality you're going to change is the actual hands on the clock you're not going to change what time of day it is you're not going to change the position of the sun in the sky and so forth the 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 standards by which we determine time right uh so uh it it struck me as as odd um and then when i was reading this morning um uh, from Joseph Pieper's book, The Four Cardinal Virtues, which I'm very deliberately reading through very slowly. He has a section on fortitude where he says this. Um, he's, he's, he's paraphrasing St. Thomas. Um, Aquinas, who so often is quoted in support of practical optimism, also teaches the truly penetrating knowledge of created things is associated with an abysmal sadness an insuperable sadness which cannot be lifted by any natural force of knowledge or will. According to St. Thomas, it is this sadness that the Sermon on the Mount refers to when it is said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the reason I bring this up is because, of course, he's, he's mentioning this in the context of the virtue of fortitude. So fortitude has as its purpose helping us to, to bear up under sadness as well as helping us to, to be brave in the face of genuine threats to our genuine vulnerability. If we weren't vulnerable, we wouldn't be threatened. If we weren't threatened, we wouldn't have, have fear. And, and bravery or courage or fortitude, it's all the same thing. Uh, is is a virtue that we have to moderate fear so that we don't have um, a disproportional reaction to fear. So, the, the, but but it also helps us to bear up. Saint Thomas says under sadness. So it's sort of to persevere through sadness. And if we do so well enough, we we with God's grace and especially the help of the the gifts of the Holy Ghost, we get the beatitude of blessed are the sorrowful. Um, uh, so th- th- this. These thoughts fit together with this whole these futurists and these technologists. They want, by technological means, to omit all si- sadness, all sorrow, all unpleasantry from life. And of course, what they're going to do by that is to create an unmitigated hell on earth, because that's what those types always do. 
that you know the the, the totalitarians and and trust me these technologists are are totalitarian at heart the totalitarians who want to make a happy existence for everybody always end up creating misery you know the the classless society where there was no struggle where there was no you know uh no 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 problem with haves and have nots where they're going to eliminate poverty and and eliminate um you know the the uh the rich lording it over the poor and all this stuff they created hell on earth the closest thing we we know to hell on earth i obviously I don't have an eschatological heresy in my head here when I say that. I'm using, <laughs> I'm using uh, <laughs> metaphorical language. But they will create the closest thing we could possibly have to an inferno on this earth, as as the as the Soviet communists did, and as so many other, um, you know, uh, totalitarians, especially communists in 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 multiple continents, right? Asia, uh, as well as as well as Europe. Uh, Africa. I mean, these guys come in and they want to make everything all better. They make all these promises, and then you you get butchery, like savage butchery. And what occurred to me, Mike, too, I realize this is going to be this is like a plethora of of different thoughts, all all sort of loosely associated in my mind. But I think they're connected because what was the heresy that Saint Dominic preached against? It was Albigensianism. Albigensianism. And the Albigensian heretics uh, had what you might call an anthropological heresy. They denied the nature of man. They did not, they, they, first of all, they had this utterly fantastical um, idea of human origins, an idea of, of what the body is. And, you know, ultimately their heresy, their, their real heresy concerned the divinity itself because they believe that there were two equal principles, one good, one evil. So God is essentially equal to the devil, which is blasphemous. Uh, what the good God created spirits and souls. The evil God created, uh, uh, matter. So matter is, so, so aside from the error of, of assigning creative power to the devil, they made all matter, therefore, evil. And therefore, of course, you can have no sacraments. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin Mary is of utterly no consequence because uh, in, in, in birthing the body of our Lord, well, th th there's something evil about bodies, right? So, so our Lord couldn't have actually had a real body. So, I mean, it doesn't take long to see how virtually every Christian doctrine is somehow uh, affected by that primordial heresy of theirs concerning the divinity. But when, but when you make the body evil, of course, you also really don't know man for what he is because you don't understand creation. You don't understand that you know God created man and woman and he created them to be good, and that includes the creation not only of their uh, immortal souls, but the creation of their bodies, which were created to be good. Obviously, they were affected after the fall. Obviously, there is concupiscence, which we have to deal with. But the body is not intrinsically evil, and neither neither is the rest of material creation. So that sadness and sorrow that St. Thomas writes about is pertains to the, the post-Lapsarian world, right? Because of the fall, we have this sorrow, we have this sadness. But but going going back to St. Dominic and the Albigensian, St. Dominic fought this heresy and which ultimately denied the realities about God and man. It was pretty sweeping. And uh, this is this was condemned by the church as a heresy. Not you know the, the church wasn't sympathetic and said, yeah, well we we have problem with the bodies 
but the body too because of concupiscence. The church said, no, this is this is a terrible error and it must be eradicated. Brother, can and, I can I interject a question here quickly? Because yeah. I, 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 while you're talking about it, wasn't the church so concerned about this? Uh, wasn't the Albigensian heresy the subject of one of the final crusades? Well, not one of, well, uh, okay, so the Or crusade, I might think of a different heresy where there was a siege. Well, well okay, so they, well, when you say final crusades, that's that's difficult to say because the crusades lasted a very long time, depending on how you define crusades. This was the fourth was crusade, the, right? There was the Albigensian crusade, yes. Okay, all right, the leader, all right. The leader was one of the first, essentially, Dominican uh, tertiaries, uh, Simon de Montfort, um, he was a military. He was a man of arms, and he went in. And yeah, they 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 had to put down the Albigensian heresy by by force of arms. Oh yeah, there's a, they made a movie about it. I can't think of the name of the movie, but I saw it. The second point is, uh, brother, is there any relation or uh, the Albigensian heresy? Because it sounds kind of Manichaean to me. It is Manichaean, okay. and, and it, it 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 is basically a um, a revival of the ancient Manichaean heresy. And my th because, my third question yeah. to you, and you can then you can you can, you can take it, uh, ten minutes to answer. My third point that I, that I want you to discuss here on this is, and weren't the Albigensians so uh, um, uh, obstinate in this heresy that Saint Dominic was almost in a state of despair over it, and that's when Our Lady appeared and gave him the rosary. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he was almost in a state of despair, but he was praying for how he could how how he could uh, defeat this heresy and and convert these people. Um, what needs to be realized about Saint Dominic is, first of all, he was not from France. He was not from the place where Albigensianism flourished, and um, if that's the right way to describe weeds flourishing. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so it's called Albigensianism because there was because the its epicenter was the southern French city of Albi, uh, but it was essentially the Manichaean heresy. Uh, it was also called Catharism. And Mani was a Persian monk who lived in the, yikes, in the third, third or fourth century. And it was his heresy that St. Augustine at first accepted. He was never a member of the sect, but he accepted the, the, its errors. And uh, uh, then when he met one of the great uh, Manichaean luminaries, he was terribly disappointed, strangely enough, because the guy didn't know astronomy. Um, but that at least led him to question the sect. And he ended up um, becoming, of course, one of the great uh, anti-Manichaean uh, teachers, which, by the way, the, don't forget that Dominicans lived the Augustinian rule. And St. Thomas quotes St. Augustine more than any other father of the church in, in his uh, Summa. And uh, so it's kind of interesting that the that the the work of the Dominicans against Albigensianism was in, in a large sense, in a way, a revival of St. Augustine's work against the Manichaeans in the 5th century. Um, but, um, so, yeah, so that's why it's called Albigensianism. And, you know, it seems as if possibly the error had been floating around the Holy Land for a very long time and it could have come back on the coattails of the Crusaders returning to Europe. Um, there were some Good developments that came culturally and religiously from the Crusades. There were also some bad ones, and I think this could have been one of them. 
Um, so the, uh, there, there was this evil conception of, 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 of the body and therefore of sex and therefore of marriage. These people were opposed to marriage. Yes. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of the Manichaean her- errors and Albigensian errors sort of, uh, hang in the air about us, even though nobody's actually a member of a sect just like that, because frankly, it had too many demands. It was... The the perfecti, as they were called, the perfect ones, who were the who were the ones who were actually baptized into the sect, they, they they I think they only were allowed to eat like three days a week or something. It was it was a it was an extremely ascetical observa- observance. Apparently, they looked like wraiths or ghosts. I mean, they they were they were very um, messed up looking. I mean, they 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 really um, and they, they couldn't. Marry, they couldn't uh, engage in, in in any kind of um, carnal relations, which of course dooms carnal relations to be hopelessly evil. So there's always a flip side of these super purist sects, you know, uh, because people, you know, your average your average Jane and your average Joe. Uh, want to do that sort of thing, don't they? I mean, right, to, to, you know, most people marry and have children. So, but when you make that something wicked, then the people who engage in it are considered hopelessly evil. So uh, it was a very strange uh, culture that they created as a result of this. And some people actually think that the 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 songs that emanated from the the um, the uh, what do they call the troubadours from the 13th century were actually inspired by Catharism. Why? If you look at the words, and I've actually studied some of these texts when I uh, when I was in college, I, I wrote a paper on it, um, uh, and it was the 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 uh, the troubadours talked about love in a very depressing way. It's almost like a modern country song. <laughs> a modern and, country song. Uh, and there there was this there was this exaltation of, of the woman, but she was always cruel. Of course there's a man singing, right? So the man singing about his beloved and how cruel she is to him. And some authors, Denis de Rougemont is one, the Swiss French guy who who wrote a book called Love in the Western World. His thesis was that the Albigensian heresy is what inspired the troubadours in their in their approach to love, because love is always showed as tragic. So if if you think that all all carnal love, sex, marriage, etc., is all evil, intrinsically because the body's evil because it's created by a, essentially a demon, then uh, you're going to think that all love is somehow uh, all love, but but except for some sort of chaste love, some sort of you know platonic love or or, or charity. Uh, you're going to think that that carnal love is necessarily evil and necessarily going to doom you to some sort of misery. And that's what the the songs of the troubadours basically basically said. So there could have been some, this could have been one of the weird sort of cultural spinoffs of, of Albigensianism. Well, brother, it, brother, it, it sounds it, like we're in the midst of the Corona Genzian heresy. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Which, which, by the way, isn't entirely unlike Albigensianism in as much as we're expected to believe things about human nature that aren't true. Right, right? We're that's expected, right. We're expected to believe things about the human body which aren't true. See? I mean, the parallels are clear. 
Yeah, there are there are some there are I I do think that there are some parallels, and of course, these folks don't believe in the in in the goodness of creation either, and therefore they they think that we're they they think that we're all products of evolution, this this sort of blind evolution, and now that we have the ability to to access this technological wisdom, we can therefore. Um, uh, improve on evolution and sort of help evolution along a bit. That's what all these guys think. They're not. They don't believe in creation. They don't believe God created us ex nihilo. They don't believe that God's creation is good, uh, albeit fallen. They don't believe any of that stuff. Can I? Can so, I? Can I yeah. insert a quote here from the Breitbart story because it perfectly fits what you're talking about. Stuart Russell of the University of California. Uh, how would Brother Francis say it? Barkley. Uh, Berkeley, as you know, it said in the video, quote, now listen to this, to what you just said, quote, we're getting past the last 10,000 years where we've used humans, by and large, engaging only a tiny fraction of human abilities and forcing people into repetitive, tedious, dead-end work for the most part. So the age of human robots is over, and we have to figure out a new age. That means dramatic changes to the structure of our economy and society, close quote. He's talking about human beings like, like an air filter on an automobile. Yeah, yeah. Th- this yeah, is horrifying did, stuff. Did, These people are talking. To, they're basically genocidal maniacs disguised as futurists. Yeah, I mean, that's, it. that's, what, they, that's what they are. They don't... That they they think that the human being is something that we can edit on the fly, just like we can I don't know maybe upload some sort of program into it, like an mRNA technology that will actually uh, change the genetic makeup of the human that it's injected into. You know that they they think of us as computer. What, what the irony is? The, the it's so thick with irony that quote: "The age of human robots is over." No, you're creating the age of human robots, you moron, because you think we can be programmed like computers, and you people are attempting to do that. It, They're it, making it, us robots. Yeah, and, and then there's another woman that's quoted uh, in here. Uh, an, ex- uh, the, an extended remarks from the Global Technology Governance Summit, whatever the hell that is, Professor Russell said that people shouldn't be afraid of automation taking their jobs for the time being, saying, quote, the kind of AI that people are worried about taking all the jobs doesn't exist yet, close quote. Professor Amy Webb of New York University's Stern School of Business predicted the increased use of editing genomes in order to, quote, write a new code for life and redesign organisms for beneficial purposes, close quote. Brother Andre, that's what the death jab does. I read a paper. I read a scientific paper on it two days ago, thanks to Lori Calhoun. That's what the death jab does. It's a gene therapy. It does edit the RNA. That's one thing. Number two, um, there's a paper that uh, Ashley Durant sent me uh, on Twitter this morning that basically uh, says, and this is another thing uh, that if you see this, this should be uh, shocking to people. It's not, and I I, I don't understand it. This is a quote from the, the research paper. Uh, da, 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 may worsen COVID-19 disease 
via antibody-dependent enhancement. This risk is sufficiently obscured in clinical trial protocols and consent forms for ongoing COVID-19 vaccine trials. So they're, they're, okay, people are studying this going like, you're altering bodies. You're altering the human genome. Now, I think- Genome, yeah. Yeah, the genome. It's, 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 Mike, it's, um, as far as I understand that may worsen COVID-19 disease via antibody dependent enhancement, I, okay, so I think that's based upon actual animal testing that they did with coronaviruses in the past. So as I've underst- as I understand it, and you know that I don't pretend expertise on this, but yes. I, 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 I read an article on it. <laughs> and what I read was, was said that, okay, so the reason why we never, in fact, it was, it was a scientist who was being interviewed. And he said, we've never successfully made a coronavirus v- vaccine. We've tried. I mean, they tried a lot. They tried for MERS. They tried for SARS. And and they always stopped it at animal testing. Why? Because it was killing the animals. Because it would create the antibodies in the in, in the body. Well, that's the first like check. Yeah, it worked there. But then when they introduced it to the the, the animal to the virus in the wild, and they actually encountered the virus. Instead of it strengthening their immune system against it and the immune system fending it off, they had this hyper overreaction to it and it killed them. So you had these animals dropping dead because even though they had the antibodies, there was something about the, the, the nature of what it had done to their immune system that it actually made them more vulnerable to the thing. That apparently is the history of conventional vaccines and, um, and uh, uh, coronaviruses. Well, brother, but, they update, uh, that study you're referring to was done in uh, December of 2020. The the paper. They now up- did it. That, did it say that the because because the the big question in my mind was would the, the mRNA thing do the same thing as the real vaccines because these were real vaccines. Okay, so the this paper was then updated in March and apparently was updated. Uh, I guess reposted here. Informed consent disclosure to vaccine trial subjects of risk of COVID-19 vaccines worsening clinical disease. That's the study. Um, And the conclusion is that the specific and significant COVID-19 risk of ADE, which you just talked about, should have been and should be prominently and independently disclosed to research subjects currently in vaccine trials. Um, Now, that is applicable to all M-RNA, quote, vaccines. So right there it says, basically, you're not informing people that are getting the death jab. You're not telling them everything that it's doing to them. They're lying, in other words. So uh, this just adds another dimension to it. What I want to know is, where in the the world are the the ambulance chasing lawyers? I, I I I just don't understand that part, but I I, I want to move on because well, go ahead. You mean, you you mean the ambulance chasing lawyers? Big, uh, yeah. I so there are apparently there are lawyers. You mean suing because of the mandates? Suing pe- people that are telling people this is perfectly safe, even if you're pregnant. That's a lot. That's screaming to me. Uh, we thank God, not uh, as of right now. There haven't been any thalidomide babies born. 
Um, that doesn't mean there won't. And with these now, the director of the Louisiana Department of Health advising pregnant and lactating women to get the death jab, that it's perfectly safe. I'm going like, you can't possibly know that. No study has been done on lactating females getting the death jab and then feeding it to babies, to infants. This is just a flat-out lie. Well, you know, most of the things that they that they tell us, this is safe, that's safe, whatever. They don't they don't do the studies. Like like, in other words, I mean, think about the dietary thing. Think think about the studies you'd actually have to have to know something safe. Industrialized food is it safe? No. Well, how many fifty and one hundred year studies have they done on it to 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 tell us? You know, double blind fifty and one hundred year studies to tell us what this does over the course of of a lifetime or generations. They don't do this stuff. I have, I have a friend who's a computer programmer. This guy was my student years and years ago, and now he's an adult with a family and all this stuff. And and he's like a mathematical whiz. He's a, he's a computer genius. Um, he's just like in code all day. Well, he tends to think in those patterns. And, and so the guy wades through data, right? That's what he does for a living. And he actually create, he actually makes code that makes wading through data easier to do. That's his job. And he was telling me, you know, th th they talk about these things as if, they un as if they've done studies. He said they haven't done studies adequate to tell us that these things are really safe. Just, again, looking at the, purely at the question of diet, you don't have enough studies. That Is McDonald's safe? Of course not. If if people knew how toxic McDonald's was, that they'd be you know, doctor. They demand that Dr. Fauci expose McDonald's, you know, and all all of the other horrible industrialized food that people eat in this country. They they create all sorts of health problems. What do you think creates the comorbidities that that people are dying from COVID because of? It's those things. Now, um, I want to add my AI element to this because I said I think. That AI is uh, is ultimately the root, uh, the maybe it's the goal or the root cause. I I have a movie recommendation for all of you. I'm going to give this movie for Reagan's. No one's ever heard of it. It came out in 2018, and uh, you can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Vudu. Uh, you can get you can rent it almost anywhere. And you're going to go like, admit a church, please. I never heard of this movie. Watch it. Watch. It's a message. It is an, a not disguised message. I watched it and I sat there at the end of it with my jaw hanging open going like, and I, I, I wrote it down to mention him. I guess the, uh, the demon's been working overtone to make me lose that little piece of paper. Uh, I'm sitting there and I watched the end of it. And I backed it up and I watched it again and went, I did not just see that. It's called Unknown Origins. Unknown Origins. Maggie will find the trailer because there's a bunch of them for it and stick it up in the chat room. Um, this is about how all this ends. It's set in the year 2036. 2036. So in 2036, uh, a trip to Mars triggers the AI event, a manned trip to Mars, triggers... <clears throat> It's, uh, it's origin unknown 2036 triggers the AI event that ba basically ends all humanity kills all of us 
No exception. All of us. But we are replaced by Android copies. One. And when you get to the end and you start reading this or you start watching this, uh, you're going to want to watch the last, uh, the, the last third, the last act again, uh, and pay very close attention to the dialogue. I'm sitting there and I'm watching this. I'm going like, that's a message. <laughs> this is Philip K. Dick today. Um, and I'll just say one more thing about this, about uh, what we're going through right now. This is big news here. Brother, do you know who Dr. Mercola is? Yeah, I, I uh, have occasionally eaten some of his uh, some of his coconut oil. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Dr. Mercola put a video out either last night or this morning why I am deleting all of my content in 48 hours. I think Biden's thinly veiled threat against DeSantis and Abbott yesterday and now the escalation of this, you will get the jab. We will, we'll, we will lock you out of society or you will get the jab. Uh, I fear that there is a event horizon here. And again, that something big, That the, I don't know what it is, but something big, big and momentous is about to happen. Uh, for Mercola to come out and say he's going to delete all this content, all of it? I mean, I don't know how many videos that is, uh, but uh, he does make two or three a week and has for some time now. Um, I don't know. Mike Church Show here on the Crusade Channel, always on air, always online at crusadechannel.com, your home for reconquest with Brother Andre Marie, the Barrett Brief, and of course the Kennedy profession driving you home every weekday afternoon. We are your 24-7 live News and talk radio station, unlike any other on earth. Uh, you can upgrade your membership and support us by going to crusadechannel.com uh, forward slash upgrade. And if you're listening as a, as a free preview for the next few moments, uh, you can continue listening by subscribing by going to crusadechannel.com forward slash go. <clears throat> so, uh, Maggie, you listen to this? You watch what Mercola said? Uh, Justin just sent it she to quoted, me, too. She quoted Mercola saying that he thinks the federal government is going to start arresting, detaining those that speak out against the vaccine. She put that in the chat room. I, I watched it. He said he's taken down all, all of it. I watched it. And he said he's taken down all content from everything he's ever published. It's like 15,000 articles. He's still going to publish an article every day like he's supposed to, but it's only going to stay up for like 48 hours. So he, he's saying basically he's trying to do this to appease because of the threats to his company, to his people, to his way of life. Uh, so he's trying to appease what's going on. But he says the cyber warfare and the uh, way the government's acting, it is just way too much and way too radical than he ever thought. He even used the word that it is weakening our constitutional rights. Uh, he also says that we're at a crossroads. That once they do this, there's no going back. Yeah, he, he definitely said we are at a crossroads. That there, there's just we're already past that point. That's what he's getting at too. Um, so we don't know what that entails. Uh, we don't know what that means. Um, but basically, then the private sector gaslighting and or not gaslighting, uh, deplatforming. Um, apparently, he fears, and I'm sure sure others fear is going to accelerate and graduate 
to then a government-led deplatforming? Oh, we've determined that you're an enemy of the state because of your opposition to our death jab. And so, yeah, we've shut your IP address down and we've taken over your uh, your domain name. Now, what's, what, uh, I don't know how they would get away with it or how they would do it because domain names are registered through a consortium, uh, an international consortium called ICANN, I-C-A-N-N. Every couple of years or so, ICANN will send me a, a notice in the mail and they will tell me that if I want to maintain my registries, that I have to prove who I am. And I have to say that because they, they'll send me a list of all the domains that I own, over 100, and then they'll say, you have to you know, prove who you are. Um, so there is an official entity out there, and anyone can do this. If you want to find out, for example, you know who, uh, who founded a website, you just do a, what's called a who is search. You just go, who is, and then enter the website there and hit a question mark and hit, uh, uh, if you're on Google, <laughs> Google's really good at it, they will take you to the registrant's page and they'll tell you everything you ever wanted to know about them. So they, if they want to know and they want to go after people where content is posted on certain URLs and certain sites, like they have been doing with LifeSite News, you know, John Henry's had to move servers twice now. You know that, brother? Did you know that? Uh, I remember. I, I didn't know it was twice. I knew he did it once. Twice. <clears throat> twice. They moved it the first time. They were on the new servers for like five, six days, and then the guy buckled. The guy buckled and went, ah, I'm getting a lot of heat pushback. You're gone. You're out. Uh, I don't think he ever disclosed who he is on now. Uh, but this is a real viable threat. And oh sure, Mike. They they can get you everywhere. I I have a friend, who um, well, I have a student who just informed me this morning that his father has been told his father's a nurse that as a as a requirement for his job he has to get the jab. So this guy who has a large family now has a very difficult decision to make. And where, where is he going to get? He could say, okay, I'll quit that hospital and I'll go to another hospital. But it's only a matter of time before that hospital does it because eventually the state or the feds or somebody's going to, re going to require all hospitals to do it. I have another friend who's a nurse who, thank God, in the middle of a move from Virginia back to New Hampshire where he's from, he, he finds out that the VA hospital where he worked as a nurse is requiring the jab too. So he's glad he, he's, he's, I was talking to his wife yesterday. She said, yeah, he's glad he got out of that job because he's not going to get the jab. But I mean, they're going to, what they're going to do is slowly limit uh, people's ability to, to work, people's ability to, uh, to travel, people's ability to, you know, do things uh, that they, that they're used to doing, going to restaurants, whatever. But that's the least of it. it being able to feed your family when you're a father and, and you're a nurse. That's simply what you do. You went to school to do that. That's your career. That's what your that's what your CV says you are as a nurse. That's what your entire skill set is and exp life experiences in, in your in your field of work. So it's it's hard, man. And I I, I tell you what, people around here are feeling it. And uh, I, this is going to be a scary new school year for us because we have a we have a lot of kids whose parents are potentially going to be in that kind of position. Mike Church Show here on the Crusade Channel, always on air, always online at crusadechannel.com. 
trying to stay ahead of, or at least, at least up on the latest that's going on uh, 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 regards in regards to the Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Janssen and Janssen death jab, as we're calling it here. Um, apparently, there are people that are... Um, now, if Mercola is saying, saying this, he's not the only one. Uh, Del Bigtree and the High Wire. I mean, that guy's been crusading again with, with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. They're going to go after RFK Jr. too. You're going to take out a former president, uh, presidential candidate, brother of a president, brother of a uh, uh, United. He was a United States senator. You're going to take his son out because RFK Jr. is equally as as vocal as Mercola is against the deaf jab. Well, he's vocal against jabs, period, against uh, vaccines, period. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it might take a while for them to shut everybody up, but but they can take out the low hanging fruit uh, fruits easier, right? The little guys. So uh, uh, I think in the first wave, you boob and Pride Book and Twitter and all the rest of them. That was the low hanging fruit. Those were the easy ones. If you were using any of their platforms. Uh, but you know, Mercola is not using YouTube. He's got his own, uh, I don't think he's using rumble. I don't know. Maybe he is. Uh, if you're using any source that's not your own and you're not sourcing, just basically buying bandwidth somewhere for, uh, to, uh, to, to stream or broadcast, uh, what, what it is that we're doing here, here today, today, um, it's not even difficult for them to get to you. And apparently they're going to. Now, maybe someone dropped a dime, so to speak, and told Dr. Marcola, I saw the list, dude. You're on it. You know, that list that Jen, uh, a sociopath, uh, uh, has been uh, boasting and bragging about the 12 bloggers that are out there or video loggers or whatever. He, he's definitely one of those. I saw it. He's number one. Yeah. <laughs> he's at the top of the list. So if the guy that's at the top of, of a sociopath's list is saying that he's now paranoid and fears for his very existence and what it is that he's doing and is going to, uh, to take the drastic measure of deleting everything that he's ever broadcast that has anything to do. Now, did he say just in specific to vaccines or everything? Every, okay, everything. Um, that tells me that there, that he's... that. He has been told, you got 48 hours to stop or you're going to get it. Yeah, everything from health, COVID, of COVID vaccines, anything he's ever published is gone. Wow, wow. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> I don't know what well, that means you know, for the rest uh, of uh, us. Uh, James, James Corbett talks about the um, re rebuilding the Library of Alexandria. And he said, we cannot depend upon digital means anymore. You know, the, 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 the disadvantage, you know, for, for the last decade or so uh, or more, we've been talking about the cloud, you know, and how wonderful the cloud is. And all of our knowledge is going to be in the cloud. Well, but guess what? The gods can, can take things out of the cloud, can't they? And that's what they're doing. The, these, and by the gods, of course, I mean the oligarchs. So, so we, we, so as a result, now you get computers. Some of them don't have hard drives. They don't. They don't have CD, CD-ROM drives anymore. They have. Um, you're more and more dependent upon the cloud, which everybody's saying is such a wonderful thing. 
Well, and now everybody's just uploading their stuff to the cloud. Well, the cloud can be erased. The cloud can be edited. The cloud can be altered. And even these these you know things that we mistakenly thought may have been permanent or or or, or, or long term at least repositories for ancient wisdom you know th- things like um, archive.org, where they have these libraries of books, uh, that got purchased by a private entity and they started changing things. They started taking stuff off of it. So the cloud can be erased. So one of James Corbett's big things is hard media. Get get hard media. Hard and anything- drives. Anything that you think is necessary to have, download that thing into a into a, a there all there are all these tools that you can use for YouTube or what other what whatever other um, streaming services there are video services you could download that thing as an MP4 into your drive and keep it stored in a hard drive. Eight four four five two seven eight seven two three or call in line telephone number. Brother, you got an episode of the Corbett file on that recent? Oh. Um, well, he, he has a thing. If you, if you Google James Corbett, don't, don't Google, but if you duck, duck, go James Corbett and library of library of Alexandria, you'll come up with something on it. Now, now I want to point something out here, brother Andre, uh, uh, Marie from the St. Benedict center and host of reconquest uh, radio. I want to point something out to you that may not be obvious. Uh, and I think that that's by design. Um, the American Communist Party people that are behind the death jab and all of what we've been talking about today and all of what we're about to go through or are going through, um, proceed from the point of view that we, the, um, uh, the obstinate, what do they call us? Unvaxxed, non-vaxxed, uh, what are they, uh, they, they use all sorts of pejoratives. Um, they want us to think, and the people that are out talking about it and talking about uh, what I call the corona hoax, what statistician William Briggs, W.M. Briggs calls the corona doom. Uh, it's not that we, uh, that we deny that there hasn't been a, a, a inclusive respir- and respiratory illness. It's what they've done with the increase um, uh, or the, uh, the difference in uh, how this particular flu wor- works on the human body. Um, one of the things that they do, though, and we give into this and we buy into this, is that there aren't very many of us. We're so small and insignificant in numbers. That's not true. Because if it was true, then they already would have pulled the trigger on getting rid of the Mercolas of the world. They just would have done yeah. it. If it's 1%, 2% of people, they, oh, that, you know, the CIA could take care of that and take an entire country over in 24, 48 hours. They already would have dispensed of us, with, with us. So what we have going for us, then, I believe that logic would dictate is that we are not small in numbers, and that's what's keeping us alive. So when I say find people that you want to trade with, that you want to be an ally with and league with, etc. cetera, uh, that you want to love and play with, pray with and go to uh, uh, mass and study with and, and live with. Uh, find them and find them quick and start the process of cherishing them because this that is what is keeping us, I believe, uh, especially with what we're learning here in real time today, 
is what is keeping us, uh, our heads above water, if you will. And, and remember, too, <clears throat> we can take some lessons from the not-too-distant Catholic past, history of Catholics coming under this kind of persecution here. What did the people of the Vendée do? Where did they go wrong? Well, when they thought they had the initiative, and some of them said, well, let's go to Paris, take this uh, continental, uh, this uh, uh, Constitution Congress out and restore the king. Uh, the other ones went, oh, no, we, we, we can't wage war on them. And they didn't do it. Of course, you know what happened to the Vendée. 250 to 400,000 of them murdered in, in, in the first recorded uh, genocide. What about the Cristeros in Mexico? Uh, was it Benedict the fifteenth uh, or Pius the tenth that told them basically that look, you 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 guys have done what you could do. You need to stand down now. It was Pius the eleventh, and he and he had. As, as I understand that he had bad information from his secretary, who later became a cardinal, and that was Cardinal Confalonieri. And by the way, Brother Francis met Cardinal Confalonieri when he was a very, very old man. Um, and he, believe it or not, he was very supportive. And Brother always thought it was that Cardinal Confalonieri probably felt guilty for what he had done as a young man um, to, to basically betray the Cristeros. Yeah. The Cristeros were, were, were betrayed by their own bishops. Yes. Um, so we should be very, very, uh, very careful. Um, uh, but we should also be uh, gird our loins as uh, scripture says, and be prepared, uh, what the bad guys, what the enemy is telling us. And it is the capital T enemy, capital E, what the enemy is telegraphing to us, laying their cards out on the table, is they don't like us, and they don't want us around anymore unless we play by their rules, uh, which is becoming more and uh, I think more and more um, the the pressure builds every day uh, to do this. Uh, look at the alarming rate of institutions that are now falling and are mandating vaccines. And that are uh, and they're now are mandating these ridiculous face masks that no one will even put forth a cogent argument anymore that the masks do anything, brother. But it doesn't even matter. Would we'll you shut up and wear them? But the box says it doesn't work. Well, it's it, it it has to do something because I don't know. Somebody said that it has to do something. Well, the, wor the worst people are the are the. The worst people are the medical people. I mean, the worst people, are the, the worst places are the hospitals and doctors' offices and things like that. Unless you go to a, a doctor's office who's completely awake. There's a there's a naturopathic physician that uh, some of us here go to. Some people in this community go to. Who when when the city of Keene came around and said, "Hey, we want you to participate in this volunteer program that all the businesses are participating in. You know, you hang these signs in, and it's all about keeping safe, and we're going to beat this thing, and wear a mask, and the social distance, all that stuff." He said, "No," he said, "No, thank you." I, he said, I'd, "I'd much rather not contribute to the fear." And and uh, good for him. He stood up to them, and he refused to participate in it. And um, I mean, he had a <laughs> he had a party a couple of months ago. Uh, that he invited our sisters to because he because a couple of our sisters go to this guy and um, he invited our sisters to and it was a it was a you know like live normal party or something like that it was very funny because he, <laughs> he was, it was all against the lockdowns 
he's a fallen away Catholic and a bunch of his clients are fallen away Catholics. And, and uh, so uh, the sisters uh, went there and gave out, uh, gave out <laughs> miraculous medals. <laughs> um, so we, we might be getting some people back to the sacraments over this because in this state in New Hampshire, which is, you know, we have our free staters here, which is kind of a libertarian movement. Yep. Um, th- there, there, there are a lot of, you know, people who sort of follow the state motto, which is live free or die. There are, there are some sort of um, traditional old, you know, independent New England types, plus people who moved here in recent memory, like the free staters and other libertarian types. Uh, plus, you've got you know traditional Catholics and and a lot and and there are a handful, especially in rural areas like ours, of of uh, conservative evangelicals and Presbyterians and folks like that. And there there is something of a loose network of people who want to resist this this tyranny, this this mask tyranny, the jab tyranny, all the all the full covid tyranny so it's good because it'll it, it gives us as you say some strength in numbers and of course although we're this is an east coast city or state uh where we are it's virtually flyover territory because this is this is i mean we may as well be in the midwest or in the south right in in in, in cheshire county and the other thing about cheshire county is Aside from Switzerland, it is the most gun-owning county in the world. <laughs> in the world. We're on the map. And that's not because it's St. Benedict Center people. Although, you know, St. Benedict Center people uh, are part of it. I mean, that, that, uh, the, 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 the gun-toting character of Cheshire County long pre-exists our arrival here. So, yeah, we have a lot of hunters and stuff in our congregation. But um, – but the point is that you know we're, we're, the people around here, and I mean Richmond residents, residents of neighboring cities, Swansea and, and some of the other cities, uh, Fitzwilliam, they're not the kind of people that, that they want to mess with because they have guns. And God knows how many guns some of these people have in their houses. Some of them carry. Some of them open carry. Some of them conceal carry. So people don't want to – you know, when the oligarchs talk about going after folks, we're like on last on the list, places like us. And I don't mean St. Benedict Center. I mean this entire rural area where we live. Well, why do you think the uh, the the vax pimps are so dismissive of everyone that's not vax that's a southerner? Because they know. <laughs> they know. You come down here and we're not talking about, well, I have a handgun for safety. Uh, I don't just have... Uh, I'm not going to say what I have because I don't want them to know. Uh, no, it's not smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, people saying, oh, I have a handgun for safety. Well, I believe in target shooting. Uh, yeah, you can go target shoot all you want, pal. Uh, the Second Amendment is in the Constitution uh, 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 to support a well-regulated militia. Uh, it's one of these word uh, – uh, one of the ways they've used nominalism uh, to torch the use of the word regular. Because, uh, you know, well-regulated militia, and then in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, uh, one of the powers, enumerated powers granted to Congress uh, was to regulate commerce with foreign nations and with the Indian tribes. Well, we all know that the Regulate Commerce Clause fell in Wickard versus Filburn in 1938 and has been bastardized and perverted and then turned into this uh, this app- this uh, regulatory apparatus state. But in the 18th century, 
Regular meant make regular. Make it more proficient. Do it more. So to make commerce regular with foreign nations mean what meant to make it. And to, uh, uh, to regulate a militia meant stock it well. <laughs> make sure it's got all the bullets it needs. And the gunpowder uh, and what have you. Didn't mean in the manner of regulate as in subjugate and constrict, right? Constrain. But well, uh, re regulate <laughs> comes from the verb uh, from the Latin word uh, regula, right? Which means rule. So it means to uh, to, to apply rules to it. So uh, um, now we we speak of regular as something of frequent occurrence. But uh, it's probably going to be, yeah, I, I would imagine there are a number of uh, uh, different shades of meaning, even in the Latin word. Right. So, I mean, according to a rule, but it, uh, it could also be in, like, mean like in fixed intervals, too. But, but a rule could be, uh, okay, here's the rule. You only have four bullets. Uh, you only have four ca uh, uh, kegs of gunpowder. You can't fight anyone with that. The rule is you must have at least five. You're in violation. So, in other yeah. words, a rule doesn't always mean constrict, make smaller. Oh, yeah, no, no, it just means according according to. I mean, right. you know, yeah. Well, when you when you take the words like law and rule and you stick them, it, it you give them to a bureaucrat. Of course, he's going to make them complicated and overbearing and ridiculous. <laughs> but the concepts are innocent enough of themselves. Sure, that uh, true that. There's a story at uh, amgreatness.com uh, today. Um, uh, by Dan Galerner, uh, and the title of it is "I'm Unvaccinated and I Plan to Stay That Way." Um, previously, and I'll get your comment on this, brother. Uh, previously, it has been basically thought that, uh, "Are you vaccinated?" Well, that's none of your business. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, maybe it's time that people actually that aren't vaccinated say that they aren't, to disprove this 75% and only idiots and numbskulls and America haters and uh, homicidal maniacs that want to kill everyone with their virus infections are the ones that are, are, that are, that are not uh, uh, vaccinated. Um, that's pretty much uh, Galerner's point, that he's not going to remain silent anymore. He's going to say, I'm not vaccinated. How about you? Um I know that some people say that, well, it's none of your business. But in this instance, uh, since it's not a vaccine, what you're basically saying is, uh, no, my RNA has not been manipulated by Pfizer or Moderna. Yeah, the, the, there's a um, – the, the, the danger that we're seeing here mm -hmm. is people are people – are, Let's see. How do I say this? All right. So, what 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 we have certain vulnerabilities. Obviously, everybody has some sort of vulnerability. But our biggest vulnerability is the school. Um, so we keep we're as far out of the matrix as we can possibly be with our school. Right. And when the when the governor when the when the Department of Education sends us all this stuff when they request this information and they and they emphasize it's purely voluntary, we do not send them information. Not because we're doing anything illegal or we're ashamed or we're embarrassed or we're you know scared of 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 the fact that they're going to think we're doing something wrong. 
It's just that we do not want them sticking their nose in our business and saying, well, we want to help. You know, we're from the government. We're here to help, you know, uh, words you don't want to hear. And uh, so when it comes to our school, we've had some weird phone calls. Somebody from Vermont called the other day to find out what our COVID testing protocols are in the school. Oh, really? Yeah, I kid you not. So uh, the, the the sister who answered the phone said, uh, what organization do you represent? And it was some bizarre name, um, Center for, for Public, I don't know, Health and, and, and Rooting Out Conspiracy Nuts or something like that. Anyway. Uh, Simca um, Fisher, Inc.? No. <laughs> who do you represent, uh, Fisher, Inc.? <laughs> well, so so what? Uh, so the the sister said, "Well, just you know, call the headmaster. He, he'll be able to tell you." And of course, it went to his voicemail and, and never got answered. <laughs> um, but I mean, they're they're asking us stuff that's nobody's business. So so I came up with an answer that basically this is a private institution, and for reasons of safety and security, we don't give out information like that on the telephone. Uh, I like I like Katie Beeman's response. Somebody asked me if I'm back, so I'm going to ask them personal questions. Like, have you been tested for gonorrhea lately? <laughs> Are you HIV negative or positive? And I want proof. I'm saying, I think that's a perfect answer. Are you vaccinated? I don't know. Do you have gonorrhea? Have you been tested for HIV? My wife is very susceptible to catching strep, strep, uh, streptococci back, uh, bacteria and getting strep through. Are you a carrier of streptococci bacteria? Can I swab you and find out? There, there are answers that are very funny, but they're also very uh, uh, pointed, aren't they? Well, let me yeah. ask you questions. Here, here. Well, why don't you sit down? Let me interrogate you. Stop. Yeah. Uh, uh, basically, folks, stop taking this. They're not in charge. They're not in control. They want you to think that they are, and they are, and they are appearing as because they are. Uh, this big bad menace, okay? I'm with Padre St. Pio. Pray, hope, and don't worry. <laughs> if you yeah. if you carry your rosary and Our Lady into battle, it will. And you're faithful, and you truly love and are devoted to her and her son, and His Holy uh, Church and religion here on earth. And you've done all you can do in your state of grace. Go into the battle and rest assured, especially when you're going into battle against Alba Genzian or Corona Genzian heretics, that should you lose your this life on earth, uh, we have a pretty good assurance that it will turn out okay for you uh, uh, afterwards. Brother, do you want to say something fine, uh, and to wrap us up on Wisdom Wednesday? Uh, how did say how uh, how did the uh, struggle? between St. Dominic and the Albigensians end? Well, a lot of them converted. I mean, he, he so it's a tragic thing in certain ways, because as I pointed out, the Albigensian Crusades were, were a thing, and there was a, there, there was a political... It's a complicated history because there were two French kingdoms at the time. There was Languedoc and Languedoc. There was the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. The Southern Kingdom, they even had different languages. The Southern Kingdom spoke Provençal, and the Northern Kingdom spoke something closer to uh, modern French. Um, and uh, the, the, there was a war, and there was the Albigensian Crusade, and the Albigensians were militarily defeated. 
Uh, and the reason that they thought it was absolutely necessary, and the church sanctioned it, was because, as is often the case with heresies, the Albigensian heresy was intrinsically antisocial. It was intrinsically destructive of the body politic and of the Christian society of that part of France. And they were the 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 um, the Albigensian uh, aristocracy, or they weren't even fully Albigensians, but they were infected with Albigensianism and they were sympathized with the sect. They were uh, utterly resistant to to moves on, on the part of the church, and they were a bone in the throat of the body politic as well as of uh, the church. So. The, the church was like, okay, God have mercy on you. We're gonna we're gonna allow, uh, you know, um, uh, what's his name, Simon de Montfort and company to come down and and um, and deal with you. So they did. So there was a, there was a, there were Albigensian um, aristocrats who just had their land, had their property abducted, you know, had had their had their property confiscated and and were and were um, suppressed. Uh, and that's how they ultimately had to put down the heresy. But a lot of them converted. And in fact, uh, the, 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 somebody put in the chat room one of the most beautiful icons of St. Dominic that you'll ever see. And I, I, I wonder if the person who put it in there knows its significance, but it's the Sinadu. And it's the, the sign of God. Sinadu is itself. Um, Alaconus put it up in there. Uh, the Sinadu, if you look at the top of the icon, you'll see what looks like a, a red star. And that's the Sinadu, uh, which is Provençal mm. French for the sign of God. Um, St. Dominic was praying one day in this valley, and uh, a star came down from heaven and, and landed in the valley. And St. Dominic took it as a sign, and that's where he started the first convent of Dominican nuns, oh. or monasteries, they would say, of Dominican nuns. And... Believe it or not, they were the first Dominicans. The first Dominicans were not friars. The first Dominicans were nuns because all these converted Albigensian women, and the sect was largely powered by the women. The women were the sort of the moral and religious uh, engines of the heresy. Uh, and uh, St. Dominic converted a lot of them, and uh, they became nuns. And uh, he, he, he gathered, to, gathered them together in that valley uh, and that, by the way, that monastery is still there today. Imagine that it's over 800 years old. Wow. It's because in two days from now, St. Dominic died 800 years ago. Well, that means everything he did happened before that, right? So this convent's older than 800 years old. Um, and, uh, so, so he, he started that, that, and there was a, there was a real, obviously, uh, that became kind of an, uh, a center for, for Catholic orthodoxy and the re-evangelization of that part of, of, uh, of France, of southern France. But, you know, ultimately, St. Dominic succeeded in using the rosary and preaching. I mean, preaching was his real, was his real weapon. He went around teaching the faith. You know, the, 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 the Dominican motto is um, uh, one, of the, one of the three mottos of the Dominicans is contemplata aliis tradere, to hand over to others the things contemplated. Hmm. So the idea is you pray, you contemplate truth, you, uh, you commune with, with, with the Holy Trinity, uh, and then the fruits of that gets preached. That's the whole, and it, it's very interesting because what the Dominicans call holy preaching wasn't just 
the actual homiletics or 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 the the the, the sermon sermonizing, if you will. What they called the holy preaching was the entire life that went with it. So the nuns were were part of the holy preaching. And St. Dominic's entire reasoning, and this is important for us today, Mike, because this is one thing that the losers, the evil bums that are our enemies, these wicked people who are trying to do this stuff, this is one thing that they don't understand. They don't factor it in. They cannot understand it because they're materialists. The nuns were the secret of the Dominican success because St. Dominic reasoned thus. He said, okay, every Dominican friar has to meditate, has to study, has to pray, has to contemplate, has to, um, you know, they, they had the divine office that they prayed like monks. They were, mo- they were more like canons. They were mobile canons. Okay. And, and they had a lot of obligations. And when they were traveling around, keep in mind, they traveled on foot. When they were traveling around, you know, that, that took a lot of time, right? So, so to do all of their obligations, including the preaching, which could be extremely consuming, St. Dominic understood that they wouldn't be able to pray as much as would be ideal. Now, that, now by the way, he prayed a lot. <laughs> so that just tells you something about their prayer uh, and how much he thought they should pray. But because the friars had all these other heavy obligations and wouldn't be able to spend so much time in, in pure contemplation, the nuns were there to do what the friars couldn't do because the nuns didn't have an active apostolate. There was no such thing as active sisters then. Now we have Dominican teaching sisters all over the place running schools and this and that. Uh, but that that didn't exist. There was no such thing as active women religious at that time. There were only contemplatives. So St. Dominic had the nuns as kind of the prayer engine. And I'm not saying we need to like recreate the original Dominicans that now in in our day, but what we need to do is take that lesson and say, okay, in order to have uh, apostolic uh, efficacy, there needs to be the prayer engine. And I, when I say prayer, I don't just mean, you know, a half hour mental prayer for each of us a day and, and, and be on with it. And that's your, that's your prayer engine. I mean these people who are specially set aside to spend their lives in prayer and penance. And that's what the nuns were. Uh, it would be it would be lovely. And by the way, they still exist. I mean, I have a friend who's a Dominican nun. We, I mean, I, I've never seen her face to face. I mean, uh, we correspond. But um, she used to belong to our order years ago. But she became a Dominican nun in New Jersey, and we we still keep in correspondence. So uh, they they still exist, and they still pray. And they still, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's, a, it, you know, if we ever wonder once in a while, how come the, the great, you know, uh, uh, asteroid of doom hasn't come and destroyed the country that kills so Sweet many of the Sweet meteor of death, brother. Sweet meteor Sweet of death. Of death. That's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I was improvising. I didn't do so bad though, did no. I? Um, but the sweet when the sweet meteor of death, it, why hasn't it come? Well, perhaps it's because of of you know um, Sister Catherine of Jesus and her friends down there in New Jersey praying their hearts out at that monastery, and others. I mean, they're all over. Are these little Carmelites that bishops are now kicking out of their dioceses? Um, because they have the traditional mass. Um, so th- these these kinds of things exist still. So we need to tap into that resource and, and um, I know and, one. And foster it. You know, uh, encourage those kinds of vocations. I know of one. Uh, thanks to KVT in our chat room, K- uh, Kevin Turley. 
Uh, KV hooked me up with, uh, that didn't come out right. KV put me in touch with the sisters in Morocco, the Dominican sisters in Morocco who are uh, contemplative. And uh, sister wrote me, she said, uh, uh, she was informed of what our needs were and I reiterated it and asked her uh, to pray. Um, you know, the crusade channel is still on the air. So I'd say the sisters have been successful. Well, you know, there's a there's a line from uh, from a Tolkien book uh, from the fir from the first one. I think the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the first of the of the three, um, and uh, I think it's Elrond says it. It's at the Council of Elrond, and and when they come up with this crazy plan to have the two little hobbits sneak the uh, ring into the cracks of doom and destroy it, he makes the point that while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. And then I forget the rest of the quote. It's something like, you know, the 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 ring will be destroyed by little little beings or little people, something like that. I, I have that part messed up. But it, the 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 key part is while the eyes of the great are elsewhere, the eyes of the great they they fear a lot. They have a lot of fears, but their what they fear is power, like the only kind of power that they understand. Mm. So, but they don't know to fear what they really should fear. They should fear little nuns on their knees with rosaries in their hands. That's the, the, if they if they understood how this stuff worked, they'd be terribly afraid of that. Well, let's. Uh, <laughs> look, uh, I don't know. If there's an advantage to be gained, or as military guys say, an initiative uh, to be gained by informing the enemy. Of the little of the of the nuns that are on their knees praying, praying to bring about uh, either their. Well, I didn't actually mean that, Mike. It's not true. So forget <laughs> it. <laughs> to bring about their defeat or their conversion, one of the two, uh, which we have to hold open the uh, possibility for. Brother, what's on tonight's episode of Reconquest? Two eighty nine. Tonight's episode is uh, 289, and it's called What's Going On in Cuba? And my guest is John Horvat II. Who, he, of uh, restoring, uh, um, return to order. Yeah, that's right. Return to order and, uh, and, and you know, TFP. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, so he, he knows, you know, the TFP has ties to a lot of these Cuban expats in Miami. And, um, you know, he's been he's been writing about Cuban things for a while. So because there's all this, you know, because of the Corona doom and all this other stuff uh, and especially ecclesiastical stuff, the Tradiciones Custodes, a lot a lot of our people aren't aware of what's going on in Cuba at all. So I thought I would do something just to keep people uh, just to make people aware of what's happening. So that's what that's all about. So we'll look forward to that tonight. Debuts at 8 Eastern, 7 Central here on uh, the Crusade Channel. Uh, brother, when does the school year start for you? Oh, um, later this month. I've, it's usually around the Feast of St. Louis, somewhere around there. I, can't, I, I, don't, I don't have the date in my mind. I'm, I'm still hiding from that reality right now because I have too much preparation. And would you like to inform people of when the St. Benedict Center conferences so uh, they can make plans to make travel arrangements which will be by car yeah I, it's october um oh dear october eight and nine that's right um, okay yeah so uh yeah october eight and nine just go to catholicism.org and, and search for 
2021 conference and you'll and you'll find all you need to find there we're getting people registering i still don't have the speakers roster finalized yet but you made a suggestion to me the other day and i think i'm going to take it okay (laughs) contact that individual fantastic well um god willing uh we'll be there so uh (laughs) i don't have a a hand on all of the uh, the events that will transpire twix now and then um but uh, for my part, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, Mike. My. Oh, gr- yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm. 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 I'm very much glad that you are. Um, they. 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 I just wanted to say uh, there that, you know, we did that commercial on the Crusade Channel about um, Catholicism.com you know, forward slash aura. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, uh, we do have, uh, we did have a, a young lady came and stay with the sisters for a couple of weeks and it was a wonderful thing. She's an, an, a really, really fine young lady. And the sisters were very glad that she came. So Yay. she stayed for two weeks and it was wonderful. So, so that, that worked out. Fantastic. Uh, well, we'll do another one for the fall campaign. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right, brother. Thank you for, uh, for wisdom Wednesday and for all that uh, you do here on the crusade channel and all that you do with the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Folks, if you're not getting Brothers Ad Rim email, you need to go to Catholicism.org and sign up for it. And you should also make a little contribution to the St. Benedict Center while you're there so that Brother could snatch your mailing address and put you on the mailing list for Manchipia, the uh, the print edition of the newsletter, which you will look forward to getting every, uh, every month. And I must say, you're not getting out of here without this, Mr. Andre Marie. What's I must say that my buddy, his painting graced the cover of the last issue. Norman Fauché painted the cover of Manchipia. Yeah, you know, that, that was Brother Joseph's uh, uh, stroke of genius uh, to get, to, get um, to use some of Norman, Norman Fauché's art. And um, so he asked his permission, and, and we kind of turned it into a commercial for Norman Fauché. So it was a designed to be a win-win situation i hope it's helpful to him but yeah and what a what a what a fine young man i and and a talented guy too so we're very happy that we we made that connection and it's typical fauché in art you got to stare at a fauché imagine a hundred years from now shh, shh staring at i'm reading a fauché you gotta <laughs> you gotta stare <laughs> you got to stare. Is that an original Fauché? <laughs> yeah, is that an original Fauché? You got to stare at a Fauché for a little bit of time uh, because there's stuff in there that doesn't strike you with the uh, with the uh, the awesome beauty of the artwork. Uh, when you just first see it, you go like, "Oh, it's such a beautiful portrait, a painting of Saint Joseph." Man, there is so much going on in that. Oh yeah, there's all kinds of hidden stuff in there. Uh, uh, yeah, I, could, I like the fact that I like the fact that he's making monstrances. I think that's great. Uh, <laughs> I, there's, like I said, there's so much going on here. You could spend an hour staring at this painting and probably uncovering new things. Uh, the, maybe even that Norman, that the Holy Ghost stuck in there, and Norman doesn't even know about. <laughs> so uh, it's a beautiful painting. I've never seen this one in color. But I know he's going to be uh, that he made a prayer card out of it. So uh, if you got Manchipia in the mail, uh, uh, the report of the crusade at the St. Benedict Center, then you know what I'm talking about. The July, August, um, uh, the July, August edition here. <clears throat> Besides all the other great stuff that is in there, just I was so happy to see 
Norman, uh, one of ours being repainted or republished and having this beautiful work f uh, being gazed upon by uh, uh, so many more thousands of eyeballs. Uh, very gratifying. And I'm glad that yes. you did that. Thanks to jo Brother Joseph Mary, because he pestered me for like two weeks. I'm like, dude, why do you need his contact info so desperately? <laughs> but I finally got it well, to him. It's funny that you describe Brother Joseph Mary as pestering, because he's like <laughs> one of the most phlegmatic people I know. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I get. I'm glad I got him the info, and then he got in touch. So uh, there's all that. No, no, it was good. And and by the way, that's 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 one of the reasons why your Congress, our conference, things like that are important, because we can, you know, people can hear my voice here and 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 hear your voice. And but it's another thing to to have the the you know, FaceTime, the real FaceTime, you know, actual. Being present, you know, to be able to press the flesh and talk in person and all that stuff. That's to have authentic community, which is what our enemies are so much against. That's is right. To destroy <clears throat> authentic community, to, to turn us in some futuristic, you know, uh, 1984 type uh, dystopia, uh, to turn us into uh, just little little monads, all subservient to the, to the power of the state. But uh, we, we, can, we can check them by having actual community which is something that they hate they do hate it um they hate all forms of community and they also hate all forms of communication they don't like us communicating which is why they're always trying to get us deplatformed. and they certainly don't like us communicating about good things um and i'll tell you something else uh household names uh have also been made for in many people's homes and homesteads for dan mundy and brian coke and um, uh, Scott Smith and uh, our, our David Simpson, the Crusade uh, um, Investment Club is a go. Uh, one, he got the 100 shares he needed before he could even write the rules. He had people, 100, 100 people ready to go. A lot came out of that Congress. A lot you don't know about. So uh, I concur with you. Uh, brother, give our best and our love to, uh, to, to the sisters. Uh, since Sister Philomena found 30 seconds to pop on Skype and send me a message. Uh, and I sent her one back, but she hasn't read it yet. So maybe you can convey it in person. Okay. Maybe you can convey it in person. Okay. <laughs>